Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR, 8.55am, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. My name is Lauren and from the Brainwaves team today I'm joined by Sarah and Rebecca. Today we're actually going to be interviewing Rebecca on her experience of self-harm and recovery. It's very brave of Rebecca to talk about her story today, so thank you so much, Rebecca. That's okay. (laughs) All right, take it away, Sarah. Uh, Good afternoon, everybody. And yes, um, thanks so much, uh, Rebecca. It's a privilege for us to be able to hear your story and to be able to help our listeners at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I thought we might begin off um, by just asking you if you'd be able to share a little bit of your story with us um, about what your journey's been like so far. Yeah, well, to kind of like sum it up in a few short words is it's been like a roller coaster. Um, I first started self-harming in two, back in 2010, which was like seven years ago, um, and that was roughly around July, so it's coming up to like seven years now. Um, I wasn't diagnosed with depression and anxiety until about 2012, which was like on my 16th birthday. Um, And basically I found I really struggled with um, self-harm. Like it not only did it become like a coping mechanism, it kind of became like an addiction. So like an alcoholic, you kind of need to for alcoholics, they needed to have they need to have alcohol every day, and for me, and that's what happened to me when it came to self harming, and that kind of started a whole lot of problems in my life and affected my life very greatly, and it still does today, which I think is something that people don't really know. Like I think people just assume like once you're recovered, you're recovered, but it like to this day, like the self harm, like it affects me. Yeah, right. Okay. Gosh, that's really interesting. Thanks so much for sharing that. It's okay. Um, So it's been quite a journey for you. And um, of course, yeah, it can can continue at any time and place, um, but you might just feel that you're more confident with your coping skills. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, it's definitely, I think, from past past the seven years, like seven years later, like I'm way better than I was like seven years ago like I was a mess <laughs> and and sometimes I still am and like that's completely okay but I think the most important thing is like for me is I'm no longer self-harming which is like it it was so hard to kind of stop because it does become an addiction it does kind of like take over your life and over your relationships and friendships and I think like for me like some days I'm like oh like yeah whatever I'm like I'm recovered I'm fine and then other days I'm like hold on no I should be really proud of myself because not a lot of people get through it and I think that's that's something like a lot of people don't know as well. Yeah absolutely you're very um courageous and um at an admiration really to most um people out there which is wonderful but I'm just wondering um our listeners might just wonder perhaps some people who aren't familiar with what self-harm is what it perhaps looks like for you if you're happy to share some of that. Yeah no that's okay um so there's a lot of things you can do um, and, it, and it is really bad, but basically self-harm is when you're purposely hurting yourself. Um, for me, that was um, bruising myself and then cutting my skin, um, which like obviously is not the best 
not the best thing to do and it's not the healthiest way to cope. And I think for me, I tried everything. Like I tried all the coping mechanisms. Like you'd look up on Google and people would do these posts and say, like master posts, like, oh, just like rip up a piece of paper, um, squeeze some ice cubes. And I mean, like back then, like back when I was going through that, there was like these challenges, like the salt and ice challenge. And I mean, Mm. like I would do that and it was like, it wasn't enough. And like, that's for me. And that's probably how my self-harm got really worse is because everyone like just said to kind of cope with it, like get a rubber band and just Mm. like snap it on your wrist. Like all those things are self-harm, like binge eating, Um, basically restricting your calories, they're all types of self-harm and basically anything you're doing on purpose to hurt yourself is considered a self-harm and for me, my self-harm was mostly cutting and I think that's that's what really started my addiction and why it was so hard to stop because once you start, you get, like it's really hard to explain the feeling but I've always kind of said it's, it, it like it changes you like the moment you're in there like I think people consider people who self-harm like they want to feel something but for me I didn't want to feel anything and that's how I escaped like self-harm was my escape like I was so tired of feeling everything like because I'm a very emotional and sensitive person enough as it is and I kind of absorb absorb everyone's like energies and their feelings and emotions and for me that would get to the point where my head would be like throbbing and like this is when like mental pain turns to like physical pain like I would physically be sick and that's when I'd realize like no I can't do this I have to self-harm and that's how I that's kind of how I coped with all my issues it's and it's definitely not the right way to cope because it just makes everything so much worse than it was before. Yeah. Okay. Wow. It's like um, really common within society, though, isn't it? So yeah, definitely. Um, it's, you know, it's something that you you obviously needed to go through to yeah. e- express yourself and maybe uh, as a form of uh, release. Do you think? Yeah, definitely. Like yep. I think, like I wouldn't, like I wouldn't be the person who I am today if I didn't go through it. And like, there's so many times in my life that I'm just like, oh. Like, I do regret it. And, like, that's the thing, like, I notice on social media a lot is a lot of people, like, oh, your scars, they're your your wounds, that you're a warrior, you have them, they're your battle scars. And for me, it's like, no, they're not. They're something I'm so ashamed of. Like, I look in the mirror, I wake up every day and I'm like, what did I do to myself? And I think that's why I've always kind of wanted to, like, share my story and get it out there because a lot of people think and a lot of people say, like, I know on Tumblr, they're just like, I have these scars to remind me of, like, the hell I went through and that I'm still here. And, like, for me, they're reminders of so many bad things that happened to my life and it's it's something that I don't want to go through. Like, I wish, like, I honestly wish, like, back then, like, 2010, I was 14. So, like, obviously, my mind wasn't mature. I wasn't mature as I, as I am now. And I've realised that it affects you in so many ways. Like, I've been rejected from jobs. Like, for me, it affects, like, your self-esteem, your self-confidence. Like, for me, even today, like, I'm wearing a jacket. Like, I have never been out of the house without a jacket unless I'm wearing long sleeves. And, like, I work in retail, so I completely know about customer service. And, like, when I was going through that, when I was working a retail job back, 
when I was like 14, people would be like, oh, did the cat scratch you? Did you like get in a fight? Like people would make comments Mm. and it's those little comments that make you feel so crappy about yourself. And like to this day, like I have a lot of scars now from um, what I did to myself Mm. and like I am ashamed and it's for me, it's not something I should be proud of. It's something that like I wish I like I wish I knew like what I was doing before I actually did it because I think when you're going through that you're like you deserve it you need it like you don't care about the scars and for me like I didn't care because I didn't think I was going to live like I was doing it because I didn't know how else to cope with my life and I knew that like eventually like I'm I'm not going to be here like just plain to say it like I knew that and then like years later like being in recovery and recovering and getting therapy and help you realize like crap like I'm still here like and now I've got to deal with like the aftermath of it like Mm. I've got to like try and cope with these scars I've got to try and cope with like your self-confidence and people telling you that like you're not good enough or you're not picture perfect because you never like you never see anyone in the media you never see anyone in magazines who are completely covered in scars and that's for me that's like one of the hardest things because it's like what will people think of me if they see it and that's why I have to cover up because it makes me feel so anxious and nervous to just think that people could even say like the little slightest sarcastic comment because it's like I don't know and I think a lot of people who have self-harm and who do self-harm a lot of people think it's attention-seeking and sure maybe it seems like that but it's not because I would I wouldn't I wouldn't put on long sleeves and wear long sleeve jumpers jackets pants in like 35 degree weather like it's ridiculous like I wouldn't put myself through that like if I could I would I would completely go out there and rock like a singlet and shorts but like for me I can't because my self-confidence is so low Mm. when it comes to my scars it's like I can't do it and the fear of like people talking Mm. and like giving you weird comments and that like that's the most scariest thing I think about recovering is the aftermath of it Okay, wow. So there's a lot of stigma out there, obviously, about people who um, resort to such measures, which is completely necessary due to life experiences. Um, Did you want to speak a little bit to that, about what perhaps led you to self-harm? Yeah, um, um, so I began self-harming in 2010. So basically what had happened is there was... Like, I've lost a lot of people in my life and the one person I lost I was with for quite a while. Um, And after he passed away, like, he passed away, I think, February. No, he passed away in March. Um, And then a few months later, that's kind of when bullying at school started. Like, I was always bullied for, like, my weight and my appearance. And, like, I completely understand that. But it just got to the stage where it's like oh, I don't know what to do anymore. Like, I, it got to the point where I was suicidal at 14. Mm. Like, wow. in that, and that's, like, a huge thing. Like, yeah, it's you, you, like, you don't expect, like, a 14-year-old to be suicidal. And, like, for me, that's when I started to self-harm because I'm like, well, if I can't commit suicide, I'll just hurt myself. Like, what else is there to do? Um, and, like, that's a really bad way of, like, looking back at that. Um but like years later like I'd be at school and like I 
like I self-harm and then I'd go to school sit in class and then like my friend who would sit next to me would just like cover my arms like put one arm over another because she didn't want to see it she didn't want anyone to see and it was kind of like a secretive thing like it was it was like you don't you don't want people to know and like at that time like my uniform was like short sleeves Mm. um and I don't know like I kept it a secret for for about like two years like I think like my my mum found out probably after I got in an argument with her um back in like 2012 before like I was even diagnosed and admitted to rehab um and just I don't know it was kind of crazy like back then I didn't realize how much I needed that support and I didn't have that support from like school or anything like I just I didn't really have many friends I wasn't that popular I would sit at the lunch like at lunch by myself like outside Mm -hmm. the library and I'd be on my phone pretending to be talking to someone Mm -hmm. because these people would sit next to me and bully me and it's like all that kind of builds up and like a lot of emotional things happened to me when I lost Um, when I lost my grandparents like years before and I think it just got to a stage like my mum became sick it just got to the stage where it's like it's like a kettle if you leave it on it just bubbles and bubbles until like it kind of like explodes and like sets the house on fire and that's kind of like what I guess I like to say happened to me is I literally exploded until I couldn't I couldn't stop yeah um, but yeah, right. it's pretty much sums that up. Wow. So you've um, certainly had a huge past, and yeah. Um, do you feel that you rec- recognize that as a big part of it? Um, I do. I think my past is is something I wish I could change. I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people kind of say like, "Oh yeah, I wish I could change this. I wish I could change that." But it's like, in the same way, I think if I changed my past I wouldn't be where I am today I wouldn't be as strong and as empathetic as I am towards other people and I think that's like a really strong trait to have in like a like kind of like a society like this right now where everything is kind of everything's kind of up up the hill yes (laughs) yeah so I don't know I think I'm very thankful for what I went through even though it's definitely not what I wanted Mm. Um, definitely not what I'd wish on anyone. And I know, I think lately since like having therapy and going therapy on and off and going on and off antidepressants, I've learned that I like, I wouldn't want anyone to self-harm. And like, Mm -hmm. for me, like, why would I do that to myself? Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't stand in a room and then tell like a little 10 year old girl, like, oh, you should cut yourself because you're ugly, you're fat. Like you wouldn't do that. And I think in a way I kind of have to realize, like put myself in that 10 year old girl's shoes. Like if I was 10 years old, would I want someone to say that to me? Would I be telling myself, oh no, you you need to hurt yourself because like you're not worthy, you're not important. And I think I know, I think I I wouldn't do that. I don't think anyone probably no. would. So I think it's kind of just changing, changing your frame of mind and changing kind of everything because once you self-harm, it kind of, it's, even though you're recovered, it stays with you your entire life and it's a constant battle to say, hey, look, 
I'm worth it. I don't need to do this. And I mean, there's been plenty of times in my life, even just recently, where it's like you get urges and you get the urge to relapse, I find. Mm -hmm. And like it kind of comes out of nowhere, like everything's fine and then something bad happens. Mm -hmm. And then out of the blue, it's like, crap, I need to do something. Like I don't know what. Um, But now since therapy and that, I've been very lucky to be in recovery recovery for like over nearly three years now Mm. um, that I know proper coping techniques and how to deal with like that emotional stress, which I think is really important when you're suffering from mental illness because you need to be able to cope because no one's going to be there all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. I know know we've talked about this like – together just the two of us Mm -hmm. um we've always talked about like how social media can also influence like self-harm and like damaging behaviors and I know you mentioned tumblr earlier yeah and I know that there's like a big community of people who sort of encourage self-harm behaviors such a big community I know we've talked about it before but like there's just do you want to talk about it a little bit more like it's it's really damaging and like encouraging yeah no no it is seriously like there are like pro anna so pro anorexia pro mia pro bulimia um blogs there's even pro self-harm blogs and like i don't know back then being so i don't know i guess vulnerable or very naive i'd i'd get into that stuff and i'd be like oh i'd look up I'd look at all these tags on Tumblr and I'd be seen of people taking pictures of their self-harm and, like, in a way it did encourage me to hurt myself more because it's like, well, if this person's doing it, I want to do it. Like, why why are they going, like, to these measures and I can't get, like, the same result? And that's when it became so toxic because mm. it's, like, people are sharing photos and they expect you to share about like your life and your own experience and that it can be so triggering um and I found like exactly the same thing happened when I was when I went back to high school is I and this is like something like I've always felt like I don't know why it happened but it did um it's like I was in class one day and I was friends with this guy um and then my best friend at the time turned to me and said hey, look at, look at his arms. And then I turned and I looked and he had started self-harming mm. and he originally had started because I was talking to him about it and I was talking about, like, my experience and how mm. badly it was affecting me. And he started to do it and I can't tell you, like, how guilty you feel. And I think in a way social media, it's so – it's anonymous. So you, you – like yeah. no one knew who I was. I didn't know who they was. Like I didn't care. Mm-hmm. Like I was just looking at their pictures and that's when it can become so triggering because you see you see images and it's like you're like for me, I'm instantly triggered. Like I watched Thirteen Reasons Why the other day and there's very graphic scenes in it and like which involve self harm and towards the end I'm just like, No, I can't like I can't do it anymore because mm-hmm. even though you're recovered, you still like you do still have urges, you st- do still have times that you're like, maybe like maybe it's would be easier now to like hurt myself because I'm like I've moved away from home. No one can see no one sees me regularly. I wear jackets all the time, but it's like no, I don't want to go back in that toxic cycle. So that's yeah. when I find coping mechanisms come like really in handy for those times yeah because you can be very impressionable like from other people yeah definitely especially when you're young yeah Mm. 
But yeah, so I don't know. I find my coping mechanisms have been super helpful for me and they're not always the best like my parents like to think, but for me they work and like that's the most important thing. If if you, if something works then keep at it and like mm. so yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um thanks so much for that, Rebecca. Uh, we're just interested also in knowing for the listeners um, mm. some advice you might give other people who might be self-harming now at the moment, mm. um, you know, to give them confidence that they might make it through the other side. Yeah, um, I think everything always gets better. Like I know that's so generic and so cliche to say, but it really does. Like for me, what I found and what I found to be a really good coping method was my tattoos. Like right. I've got eight now um and back in I think it was like 2014 so that's when I started recovery um a doctor like literally said to me if you don't stop self-harming you're literally going to be dead before you're 21 Mm -hmm. and that's what he said to me and it's like it kind of like shook me up a little and for a while I thought about I'm like okay and then 2014 was when I turned 18 like I was already in recovery for like a few months like I hadn't self-harm and that was like a huge deal because mm. I would self-harm every day like I couldn't stop okay. um like that's how bad their mm. addiction got mm-hmm. um and then I just remember saying to my mom like after my 18th it's like I need to get a tattoo. Like, I've been thinking about a tattoo for so long. Mm. It's like, I need to get it. And then as soon as I got it, it was instant relief. Like, literally all my urges, all my triggers Mm -hmm. kind of went out the window. As soon as I got it, like, everything just felt so much better. Like, I felt so much more clear. And I know it can be kind of silly to say, but for me, instead of self-harming, I replaced it with tattoos. And, like, I've realised and grew up to realise like, if I've got something beautiful in my body, like, why would I want to destroy it? And I think, and that's what I really recognise is I didn't think I was beautiful when I was self-harming. Mm. Like, I thought, like, I was, like, could possibly, like, the worst human being in this mm. world. Um, and now with my tattoos, like, for me, like, they make me feel beautiful. Like, I have beautiful pieces of art by people who, like, wonderful artists. And it's like, you know what? I'm not going to ruin it. I, yeah. I spent way too much money on this. Yeah. It's beautiful. Like, why would I want to ruin it? Mm. And I think that's been, like, really important for me in my recovery. So I think yeah. it's, like, advice to anyone out there. If you have anything that has helped you in the past or you think will help you cope with your pain, it's so worth it. Like, I know for me, like, I go to the gym, like, three to four times a week to get out some anger. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's always healthy to do things that will make not only you feel better but also feel good about yourself, Mm -hmm. Um, like, not only for, like, the short term but for the long term. Like, I know it's, it's so cliche and generic to say that it will get better, but it truly does. Like, I mean, like... Seven years ago, I was self-harming. Like, I dropped out of school. Now I'm here in Melbourne. I moved from far north Queensland. I'm at uni. I've got a job, a stable job. Mm. I'm on a radio show every week. So yep. it's like, wow. like it. it's for me, like it does get better because it did. And I just had to ha- hold on to realise that. And I think that's the thing when you're self-harming is, it can be so toxic and you feel like nothing ever gets better, nothing will ever improve, but it does. And I mean, like I'm in the process now of getting treatment for my own scars where I'm getting 
um, cortisone injections. So it's flattening out my keloid scars altogether. And that's when I plan to get more tattoos to kind of heal. And I think if you, I think also the, um, the, the injections, um, to help with the scars, reducing the size has also been helpful because it's like I need I need that, mm. um, and it's nice to be able to finally come to like a stage where you're like I'm okay with my body and I'm okay and like I'll be okay in the future and I think that's important for everyone to know that it'll all be okay. Mm-hmm. It may take a year, it may take a month, it may take how long, but like seven years in the making it's like you you can never give up like recovery is every is a day like every day you have to choose recovery Mm -hmm. you have to choose to love yourself and I think that's what people need just love yourself every single day no matter how long it takes and you'll get there yeah I think that's really really good advice thank you so much Rebecca for being brave and talking about your long recovery for all of our listeners um you've been listening to brainwaves on 3cr if any of the topics that we've discussed today have upset you or if you want to learn more about um, self-harm or anything like that please contact lifeline on 131114 or wellways helpline on 1300 500 you can find more of our shows on our website brainwaves.org.au and on the 3cr website 3cr.org.au brainwaves We'll be back next week at 5pm for a new episode. See you then. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.